Welcome everybody to the debut of the Tell It Avs It Is podcast. Your home for everything Colorado Avalanche and brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host Griffin Youngs from fansided.com. You can follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL. Before we get started, I just got to say that I could not be more excited with getting started with producing this podcast for the amazing hockey fans in Colorado. We've got an exciting season coming up for the Avalanche. Probably, I'd say, the most anticipated season since 2002. These guys are not just in the conversation. They are the conversation. They are the Stanley Cup favorites this year, in my opinion. And this is going to be one hell of a season, especially once we get it started. Now, a little bit about me. My name's Griffin Youngs. I've been a general NHL writer at Fansided for the last four years. Quite honestly, there is nothing I love more than hockey. To me, it is easily the best sport in the world. There is not a close second. If it's not watching hockey, it's re-watching hockey, listening to podcasts about hockey, reading about hockey, or writing about hockey. Honestly, I don't think I can name a day in the last several years that hasn't involved at least some form of hockey for me. But that's enough That's enough about me. We've got a lot of catching up to do from looking back at what happened this offseason to previewing this bizarre season we've got coming up in potentially less than a month. We are less, supposedly less than a month away from the return of NHL hockey outside of a bubble. We're potentially looking at playing the same eight teams about eight times a season. Avalanche would obviously be stuck in that Western division. They've announced some of the recent changes to this division. If they come through, Avalanche would be playing the Anaheim Ducks, Arizona Coyotes, the Dallas Stars, Los Angeles Kings, San Jose Sharks, St. Louis Blues, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, not all of that's set in stone quite yet. There's still some discussions about whether Minnesota could come into the fold and what team they would replace. It seems to be right now that if Minnesota does come into the fold, either Dallas or St. Louis would be joining that other division, and Minnesota would be coming here instead. I mean, in terms of competition, I don't even think this should even be a conversation. This is the division, especially when you look at that relatively weaker bottom four of the Los Angeles Kings, the Sharks, the Ducks, and the Coyotes. You're going to need to balance that out with that crazy top four we've got here of Colorado, St. Louis, Dallas, and Vegas. I mean, you could argue that all of those teams are at least Stanley Cup contenders. I mean, you could, you could argue the worst team of those four is St. Louis, mainly because they don't have much in net right now and they just lost Alex Petrangelo, but they are no joke. They could finish fourth in this division and still be cup favorites by the end of it. This is a row of killers. But best of all, Avalanche on paper, they are the best team out of all of them. I mean, we'll see what happens with Vegas. Vegas, I think, is really the only team, especially out west, that really has Colorado rivaled in terms of a Stanley Cup roster right now. But, I mean, as we saw last year, Dallas is no joke. They went to the Stanley Cup Finals, knocking off both Colorado and Vegas. Granted, Colorado lost both of their goalies in that series, and it went to a Game 7 overtime. Who knows what happens if Grubauer or Franco stays in net. But all in the past now, brand new season coming up. 
I could not be more excited to be previewing it in the next couple episodes with you guys. And once this season gets started, I could not be more excited to be along for the ride with you. However, for today, it's going to be about catching up on what we've missed. We're going to be reviewing the offseason, the moves that the Avalanche have made, the signings, the trades, discussing whether or not they did enough, and frankly, if they can do more. We still got a month before the season. Colorado still has some cap space. Could they sign any free agents to maybe bolster this team, or are they done? Is this the team we're going to be seeing going into next season? So why don't we start with some of the big stuff, the trades, everyone's favorite, the trades, and no one is better at trades than Joe Sackick, in my opinion. And this one, this is a banger. The Avalanche acquiring Brandon Saad and Dennis Gilbert from the Chicago Blackhawks for Nikita Zadorov and Anton Lindholm. The Blackhawks retained a million dollars of Saad's contract, bringing his $6 million cap hit down to $5 million. Man. Joe Sackick, he just, I don't understand why other GMs even want to trade with him anymore. These last three years, he has just been on a tear. He is running through every single GM he trades with, and it's not close. I mean, you can start with the Matt Duchesne trade in the haul he got back for him, that it's still being felt through this team and still hurting the other teams he's traded with, Nashville and Ottawa, to this day. But let's just look at this. Brandon Saad. In a vacuum, Brandon Saad is basically the perfect addition to this Avalanche team. They had a slight hole on their wing. They had Jonas Donskoy filling it last season with their second line of Andre Burakovsky, Nazem Kadri, and Jonas Donskoy. And obviously while that did fluctuate a lot during the season, that was their plan going into it. But now there is no question what this top six is going to look like, and Brandon Saad is going to fit right in and what they got him for is crazy I mean all respect to Nikita Zadorov he was fantastic during his time as an avalanche he wasn't a flashy player he wasn't gonna score 15 goals as a defenseman or get a ton of assists and put up a ton of points or be up for the Norris or anything like that but he was good he knew what his job was and he executed it very well every game happy trails to him He's going to be great in Chicago, especially since Chicago lacks a lot of defensemen right now. Zadorov is going to be getting a lot of time, and surely they see him in their future. But when you compare him to Brandon Saad, it's, it's, just, it's just not close. Brandon Saad is a consistent 50-point scorer. He's not a superstar by any stretch, but he's consistent. When he plays a full 80-game season, he'll, he'll hover around 50 points. There was the one time in his return to Chicago after they flubbed the return, getting him back after they traded him the first time, where they traded Panarin to Columbus. But that's a whole that's a whole nother story. He did struggle in that first season, 35 points, bounced back in that next season with Chicago with 47 points. And in 58 games last season before the pause, he had 21 goals, 12 assists for 33 points. He'll fit right in. I mean, obviously, he's not touching that first line with McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog, but if there's an injury, he definitely will. He'll jump right up in there, and that and injuries were a problem for the Avs last season, so it's never a bad thing to have more quality assurance, but if everything goes ideally, your top six is going to be Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen on the top line, and your second line, 
very stacked. Andre Burakovsky, who in my opinion is due for a tremendous breakout season this year, even better than the one he had last year. You're going to learn this about me. I love watching Andre Burakovsky. He is very entertaining to watch, and I can't get enough. I think he's got a lot of potential, and I think he can give even more than what he gave last season. Nazem Kadri, who they also acquired last season from the Toronto Maple Leafs in the big Tyson Berry deal, which they have now unequivocally won. Kadri is cheap, and he is effective. Easily one of the most valuable contracts in the league by a mile. He is spectacular. And now you've got Brandon Saad to plug in on the right wing. That That is just a privilege of a lineup to watch. Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen, Burakovsky, Kadri, and Saad. That, I mean, that alone puts them in Stanley Cup contention, let alone the fact that the rest of the roster is stacked. But Brandon Saad, barring anything catastrophic, is going to fit in very well with this team. If you have to look for a downside in this trade, I mean, and you, you got to look for it. It's that Brandon Saad only has one year left on his contract. He will be an unrestricted free agent next season. And who knows if Colorado will be able to keep him. I mean, salary cap staying flat, not just this season, but the season after that, season after that, season after that, and season after that in all likeliness. I mean, eventually having this luxury of just being able to get Brandon Saad for $5 million and plug in without having to move salary out, only having to give Zadorov in return as part of the trade, not having to move out his salary or anything. That's a luxury that a lot of teams don't have right now, especially in this financially tough world for hockey right now. But I mean, we don't need to worry about next season right now. There's a, there's a lot of things that are going to happen next offseason, like Saad, Landeskog, Kale McCarr, that's all for later. We can worry about all that later. What matters right now for this Avalanche team is this season. They are built to win the Stanley Cup this season, and getting Brandon Saad absolutely supports that. You can argue all you want about him being not a huge point scorer, I mean, mainly the wrap around Brandon Saad right now is that he was part of the Panarin trade, and that has soured his image just because he's not Artemi Panarin. But none of that was his fault. He's done fine in Chicago. It's not his fault he got traded for a Hart finalist who is one of the now the better players in the league. Not even in Columbus. He's in New York now. So that trade's basically over. Saad is no longer even a member of the Blackhawks. He is now a part of of the Colorado Avalanche, and he is going to help take this team far if he has anything to say about it. Now, if you do want to point out some holes on the Avalanche, you can maybe say, oh, their defense isn't the best. Oh, their, their goalies tend to get hurt a little bit. Well, how's this for an answer? Colorado Avalanche acquiring Devon Taze from the New York Islanders in exchange for two second-round picks. And if all goes right, those will be late second-round picks. So that is a steal. Taze would later sign a four-year contract worth $4.1 million a season, and he's going to be on this team probably until he's 30. So we'll see what he has in store for us this season, but 
all signs show that this is a phenomenal move for the Avalanche. Joe Sackick again taking advantage of some desperation on the Islanders' part where they need to move out some money, and they get probably one of the more underrated defensemen in the league for cheap. Devontae's he kind of emerged out of nowhere in New York. He was a decent prospect, but I don't think anyone was expecting him to turn out as good as he did in New York, especially under Barry Trotz. And his analytics have been fantastic. And you look at how he fits in on this Avalanche team, he might be on the third pairing, which is absurd considering how good he is. You're going to have probably Ryan Graves still probably playing with Kale McCarr, Sam Girard on the second pair on the left side, and that only leaves one spot for Devon Taze. But the thing about Taze is he's good enough to challenge for all of those spots. He kind of emerged last season in New York in 2018, came out out of a couple years in the AHL, and burst right on the scene as a viable top four defenseman. Five goals, 13 assists, 18 points in 48 games. Sound defensively across the board, especially in that Barry Trotz system where they lock down everything. He fit in perfectly. Last season, 68 games before the pause, six goals, 22 assists, 28 points. In the playoffs, he was also spectacular for the Islanders in their run to the conference final. Two goals, eight assists, 10 points. And again, structurally sound defensively. He fits in perfect with that Barry Trotz system. We'll see how he does over here. They, Colorado obviously doesn't have that smothering style of play that New York has under Barry Trotz. But if his stint in New York is anything to go off of, he is going to be phenomenal for this team. And again, with the luxury, he's going to probably start the season on the third pair on the left side. Other teams don't have these luxuries to just play really good players on their bottom pair. You see teams struggling all the time with icing third-pairing defensemen because they just they don't have the salary cap to afford better depth. And the Avalanche, they just do. Every single spot on this roster is filled by a quality player. And you can get Devontae's at 26 years old for $4 million a year for the next four years. That is spectacular work by Joe Sackick. We'll see how Taze does away from that Barry Trot system. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little concerned that maybe he was propped up a little by that system in New York, but he's a he's shown himself to be a very capable player, even if, even if he's not as good as he was in New York, he's still going to be just fine as a member of the Avalanche. We have him for four years. He has plenty of time to get adjusted into this system. And surprisingly, that was it for the trades. I mean, the Avalanche, that tended to be more than most teams made this offseason. Two big trades. I mean, several teams, they didn't make any. And if they made any big trades, it was a select few let alone two. It was a very, very boring offseason when you look at it, especially when you review it from the, the hype everyone had coming into it. Like, oh, teams are going to have to move out money and make all these trades, and they just never did. But the Avalanche, they had all the 
the cap space that they needed despite the cap not going up. And they, they quite frankly, they, they took advantage of two teams that were desperate. The Blackhawks, they don't really know what they are right now, whether they're rebuilding or retooling despite their dramatic letter. I mean, and the Islanders, they needed to shed money. They, they still haven't signed Barzal or anything like that yet. And really, the only player you see leaving is Nikita Zadorov, who does suck to see go. He was a big member of this Avalanche team, big part of the culture, loved by the players, loved by the fans. But when you're getting Brandon Saad in return, it's it's hard to be too heartbroken knowing how much better this team got in that trade. And moving on from the trades, uh, the Avalanche didn't really end up making any big UFA signings. All their signings tend to be restricted free agents. There was about four of them. I mean, it was a little bit of disappointment that they didn't make any of those big UFA signings, especially that since they were considered to be in on Taylor Hall all this time. I mean, they certainly offered him a deal. I think it was, from what I remember, that deal was, was around the $5 million a year range for one year. And Hall certainly considered it, but Buffalo offered him $8 million for one year, and he ended up taking that instead. And by that point... Colorado already had their guy and Brandon Saad. They didn't really need to make that big, unrestricted free agency splash. But what can you do? No UFA signings this year. So let's look at the RFA signings, starting with the big one, my favorite one. Colorado re-signs Andre Burakovsky for two years to a contract worth $4.9 million a year. If there is one negative part to this contract is that it is only two years, because I think in two years, Burakovsky is going to be ready to break out in a big way for this Avalanche team, the same way he was poised to in Washington, but injuries and lack of ice time and frankly, a lack of confidence from his own admission got in the way of that. After back-to-back 25-point seasons in Washington with big expectations on his shoulder and not getting the ice time that he wanted, really. He requested a trade, and Joe Sackick, doing what he does, took him, off, took him off Washington's hands for him, and he was a star this season for the Avalanche. 58 games, some injuries here and there, but and also the pause getting in the way. His first 20-goal season, 25 assists, 45 points, and 58 games is probably going to be what this season is anyway. So that's a pretty good barometer of what we can expect. I mean, 20 goals is certainly not out of the question for him. I'd, ex- I'd expect him to start pushing 25 with a shot like his. I don't think it's out of the question at all to see Burakovsky pushing 60 points this season. And eventually, probably in the future, I'd bet maybe even 30 goals. I'd say that's his ceiling. He's 25 now. He's not exactly young anymore. We kind of know what to expect from him. He's a sniper. He's a very clutch player, as we've seen in the playoffs in Washington and in Colorado, scored in every elimination game against Dallas, and especially in that game seven. He scored in three straight game sevens dating back to 2018. You look at that game seven for Washington against Tampa Bay. He scores twice to put the dagger in Tampa and send them to the Stanley Cup final. 
then in 2019 in Game 7 against Carolina to open the scoring, and he does it again in this Game 7 against Dallas. Unfortunately, as we know, they did drop that game and ended their season, but you're, if you're almost guaranteeing a big goal from one of your top six players in every big game in the playoffs, that alone is almost worth the money. And I think in this regular season, you're going to start hearing the name Andre Burakovsky a lot more. And let's just say that Miko Rantanen goes down with another injury. I mean, a lot of players are going to go down with a lot of stuff this season. There's going to be a lot of positive tests because just because of how the world is right now. There's going to be times where players are just randomly out. So let's just theoretically say that Miko Rantanen is out for two weeks. When Burakovsky was stepping up on that top line, he was, f quite frankly, amazing with Nathan McKinnon and Landeskog when they would play together. He can fit at any point in this lineup if, for whatever reason, that Tyson Jost is getting hot and he fits better with Kadri and Saad. Burakovsky would be just fine on the third line as well. I mean, this is, that's, this is just the luxury of having so much depth scoring on your team that you can have a guy like Andre Burakovsky making about $5 million a year at still 25 years old, and you can you can plug him in wherever you need to. If Landeskog goes down or Ranton goes down, he can put him on the top line. He's ideally on the second line with Kadri and Saad. Uh, for whatever reason you need to put him on the third line, you can do that too. You can, you can plug him in just about anywhere, and as long as he stays healthy, which has been an issue in the past... He's going to be doing great. I expect around 50 to 60 points this season, even if it's a 58-game season. I'd still expect great things from him. So moving on to the next signing, Colorado re-signs Valerie Nichushkin for a two-year contract worth $2.5 million a year. Valerie Nichushkin is the very example of a luxury for the Avalanche right now. He came out of Dallas last year. He was a former first round pick for them in 2013 with high expectations that didn't pan out. He went back to KHL for a while after 2016, came back in 2018-19, and didn't score a goal in 57 games, had 10 assists, and they were done with him. They let him walk to free agency. Colorado picks him up for basically what was basically a league minimum contract deal. And he plays 65 games, 13 goals, 14 assists, 27 points. Comes through in the playoffs as well as with some depth scoring with two goals. That could not have been a better signing. I bet that went better than Joe Sackick ever imagined it would. And now they've re-signed him for two more years at $2.5 million. I mean, for one season of production, it's a little rich, but Nichushkin proved that he is not only an NHL player, but he is potentially someone you can put in your top six. Going back to the point of injuries, Nichushkin, when Burakovsky or Rantanen was out for a little while, they, pl they started plugging him into the top six, and he was doing great. He's still only 25 years old, the same age as Burakovsky, and quite frankly, he's still growing as well. If he gets consistent footing and confidence like he did last season. I mean, I, I could expect 30, 40 points from him. 
I don't know about a 20-goal season, but it's certainly possible that he could do that. He has all of the talent, and now it seems like he has the confidence of his coaches like he didn't have in Dallas, and the confidence in himself like he didn't have in Dallas. And now, he's a very productive player for Colorado. You can put him on the fourth line like he's projected to be right now, which is crazy that you can just have Valerie Nachushkin, potential 15 goal scorer on your fourth line because you already have Miko Rantanen, Brandon Saad, and Jonas Donskoy. Like, again, with the luxury, teams don't have this good of a fourth line. You can plug him in with Belmar and Matt Calvert. You're looking at potentially one of the best fourth lines in the league. And that's, again, you can plug him into the third line or the second line with no issues at all. So the $2.5 million is absolutely justified. And for two years, that's, that's a deal he'll like as well because if he performs well over those two years, he, he can get paid once he hits the market again. Whether that's with Colorado or with someone else, he is going to get paid, especially if he does what he did last season again. Now moving on to the defense, Ryan Graves signing a three-year contract worth $3,166,667 a year, three-year deal, and man, you want to talk about a guy that kind of came out of nowhere for this team, Ryan Graves. Did anyone think Ryan Graves was going to be as good as he was? I'm sure some people had him pegged to make the NHL, but my God, where did he come from? Now he's on the top pair with Kale McCarr making a $3 million a year. I mean, you look at the season before last, he played 26 games, three goals, five points, but he spent most of his season in the AHL and he gets called upon this season and he he doesn't miss a beat. He, go, he jumps right into being probably one of the more dependable defenders for the Avalanche in the entire season. Obviously, they got ravaged with injuries every now and again, but Graves, he was basically a godsend for them, and he absolutely earned that money. There are some concerns towards his analytics and his emergence out of nowhere. You see some people criticizing his defensive play sometimes, but sometimes you just find a guy and it's his time, and it was Ryan Graves' time when he made the NHL last season, and why why argue? If he works with Kale McCarr and he works well, there's no problem. He he has every right to that $3 million. And if he keeps getting better for three years, that is another steal. I mean, again, with the luxury, Ryan Graves just coming out of nowhere and performing when it seemed like they had some issues on defense. They just get their solution internally, and now they've locked him up for on a bridge deal for three years, and he'll be 28 when that contract expires. He'll be in his prime. You'll know what to expect out of him by then. And moving on to the final signing from this offseason, Tyson Jost, signing a one-year contract worth $874,815, just a one-year deal. They need to see it from him before they can sign him to a longer deal. Jost was the 10th overall pick in 2016 for the Avalanche. High expectations for him. 
He's worked out well with this team. He's been on the team for the past three seasons consistently. 65 games in his rookie season, 22 points. 70 games in his sophomore season, 26 points. And 67 games in what would eventually be a pause season. If he finished the season, he would have had more than this, but eight goals and 23 points. I mean, there's no problem with this deal. It's a show-me deal. He needs to show that he can be a big-time player for this team. And potentially, and if he's not, if he hovers around 25 points, even 30 points, which would be his best up to this point, they would need to see more out of him to justify paying him more because this luxury of having all this salary cap space will go away, especially by the end of this season when they have to pay Landeskog and Makar and potentially figure out what to do with Brandon Saad. They might not have the money to pay Tyson Jost especially since the salary cap is going nowhere. It's not going up anytime soon. I mean, Elliot Friedman said recently on 31 Thoughts that the salary cap might not go up for the entirety of this new CBA. And unless I'm mistaken, that CBA is seven years long. So we're looking at this for a long time. And they're going to have to start making cuts eventually. And Tyson Jost, he's going to have to work really hard to prove that he does not need to be one of those cuts as soon as next offseason because as much as of a luxury as the salary cap space is now, that is going to go away. And as we've seen from other teams in the league, guys like Tyson Jost, when they have to re-sign them, will be the guys that go, especially since it's harder to move guys with bigger salaries and older guys that make more. A younger guy, 22, and unless he goes off this season, might not make a ton on his next contract. That could be desirable for some teams to trade for. And quite frankly, that was all the moves the Avalanche made this offseason. As minimal as that was, they still did a lot more than a lot of other teams did because it was a quiet offseason. I mean, you look at, just for example, a team like Washington, they signed Henrik Lundqvist, big deal sign Justin Schultz, and they pick around the edges for the rest of the offseason. Nothing really blockbuster outside of Lundquist. I mean, you can say that for a lot of teams in the league. I mean, Tampa Bay has not done anything yet. They've been trying to trade Kalorn ever since they won the Cup, and they just haven't been able to do it. They can't move out money because no one really wants to do anything right now. GMs, frankly, are terrified of this flat salary cap and the fact that it's not going anywhere. So frankly, good on Joe Sackick for getting out there and making moves and taking advantage of some team's desperation and improving his team. No, he didn't like make the big Taylor Hall signing like everyone was expecting him to or the Alex Petrangelo signing like Vegas eventually made. But this team is better than they were last season and that's frankly not even a debate. They're a very, very, very good team, and I put this Avalanche team in a very special group of teams. I think there are three teams that can really compete for the Stanley Cup this season. The true, bona fide Stanley Cup contenders, as of right now, before the season starts, I would say those teams are the defending champs, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Vegas Golden Knights, and these Colorado Avalanche. I, w I struggle, really, to put a lot of teams in that category. I mean, I can make a stretch and say Dallas maybe, but I don't know. Dallas, 
that seems like the kind of run you do once and you fizzle out after that. Because they had a lot of injuries and they got carried as far as Anton Hudobin would take them. So, not saying they'll be bad this season, quite the opposite. I'd put them in the category just below bonafide Stanley Cup contender. And frankly, I'd have a lot of teams in that category, but I'd really only have the three of Tampa Bay, Vegas, and Colorado in the Stanley Cup favorites for this season. Because a lot of teams, they didn't really make any huge improvements to improve their chances. I mean, if Vancouver went out there and made some big acquisition to really push them to the next level, I'd probably put them in this category. But they didn't. They don't have the salary cap space. They kind of stayed still. They lost Markstrom and signed Holtby and lost to Foley. So you could argue that Vancouver is going to stay where they are. I mean, Montreal, as many moves as they made this offseason as one of the more exciting teams, I personally am not ready to put them in Stanley Cup favorites. I don't even think the most hardcore Montreal fans are ready to put them in that Stanley Cup favorite category probably playoff contenders. We still have to see if that run they had in August wasn't a fluke because they wouldn't have made the playoffs otherwise, and we never would have known that they were a team that would perform well in the playoffs. And you look around the league, I mean, Toronto made some moves, but Toronto always makes moves. Toronto every season is, it's always, well, this is the year that they're going to make some noise because they made this, 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 and this move. And while I believe the signings that they've made are going to get them closer, I still need to see it from them. So I'm not ready, until proven otherwise, to put them in that Stanley Cup favorites, because you got to get out of the first round before you can put yourself in that category. And then you look around the league, Washington, category below, Pittsburgh, category below, Flyers, category below. All these teams have weaknesses, Boston category below they they did win the president's trophy last year but their lack of depth showed up against tampa in the playoffs and their offseason was unremarkable and we'll see how healthy that team is once the season starts not saying they'll be bad but not a favorite in my book and man quite frankly that's it there's a lot there's a lot of teams in that middle still so did the Avalanche do enough this offseason? I'd say they did. I would say that they did. It was de- it was definitely a hard offseason. It was like that for everybody. I think if the salary cap did go up, Colorado might have done more because there might have been more teams willing to do things. But for the circumstances that they had, making the moves that they did, I, I see no problem. I think they did plenty. I mean... There was some rumors that maybe they were going to address their goaltending situation. But Philip Grubauer is still a fine starting goalie. I'd still put him above average compared to the rest of the league. I mean, and if your one hole is maybe your starting goalie isn't the best goalie in the world, but he's still a very good goalie, there are worse problems to have. Pavel Francouz in the regular season, he was still great. He's still a very viable backup goalie. He did struggle a bit in the playoffs, but if they stay healthy, which is a big if, they lost them both in that Dallas series, they'll be just fine. With a team this good, all you need behind them to go far is competent goaltending. 
And Philip Grubauer and Francis are far more than just competent goalies. They're not elite. I mean, it's not a it's not a Vegas tandem of Robin Leonard and Marc Andre Fleury, but it is still very very good. And if that's really the only weakness that you have, you're fine. Maybe they could have addressed it, maybe get another like third option in case they lose both of these guys, which Frankly, I would have wished they would have done just as an insurance policy. Some teams do have that third goalie. I mean, you look in Toronto, they signed Aaron Dell. Washington has Phoenix Copley behind Samsonov and Lundqvist. And Colorado doesn't really have that. So if Grubauer does get hurt again and Francois takes an injury at the same time, or let's say one of them tests positive and has to miss a few games, the other gets hurt. Who's going to start in net? I mean, is it going to be... Adam Werner, 23-year-old, who was 2016 draft pick, maybe. Who knows? I mean, they have some guys in the, the World Juniors right now, but those guys are not going to be ready for the NHL at 20, 21 years old. I mean, you look at, I'm going to butcher this name, Anunin Eustis, Eustis Anunin, 20 years old from Finland, 2018 draft pick, projects high. And he's going to be going to the World Juniors this season. But he's not going to be ready for the NHL, especially not in a starting role if we lose one of the goalies or both. So if there was one thing they could have done, maybe address goalie. But that's really just an insurance policy at this point. There's nothing really wrong with their tandem. It could be better, but it's not bad. It if this Avalanche team is as good as I expect them to be, goaltending will not be an issue, and it will not be a reason for their downfall. And now, looking ahead, I mean, do they need to make any more moves before the beginning of next season? They have $1.8 million in cap space left. Should they do anything before next season starts? Frankly, I don't really believe that they need to. I mean... It's a very weird offseason where you still have quality guys still on the market, like Mike Hoffman, Duclair, Derek Brassard, Mikkel Gronlund, Eric Halla, Corey Perry, Connor Sheary. I mean, these are all very capable NHL guys. And in the case of Mike Hoffman, you can argue he's a top six guy, and he is. He was the leading point scorer heading into this offseason, even above Taylor Hall, and he doesn't have a contract. Now, I don't think Colorado has room for him. I still think he's going to get paid maybe around two and a half to three million. If he, if he was going to take less, he would have signed by now. So I don't think he's taken less than two and a half or three million for that matter. And Colorado just doesn't have the space for that. And even if they did, there's really no point. They got Brandon Saad. There would be, there'd be nowhere for Hoffman to play. I mean, are we going to kick Nachushkin out of the lineup? Donskoy out of the lineup? No. So all these big names on the market, really, there's no room for them. They have a complete top four on their defense. We'll see how healthy Eric Johnson ends up being, but if he plugs in, it'll be Graves, McCarr, Gerard, and Eric Johnson. In the meantime, if not Johnson, Ian Cole, so... And then you got Devon Tays and potentially Connor Timmons coming in. So no real big need on defense or anything like that as well. 
So no, I don't really think they do make any moves. I mean, there's no one. To, there's no one they would need to sign. All the go all the goalies that were on the market are gone. Again, they have four very capable lines, three very capable defensive pairings, and the guys left that would really be notable signings just wouldn't fit. I mean, if they signed Sammy Vatnin on the defense, maybe you could put him on the right side as insurance, but they probably don't have the money for that. I'm sure maybe if you look at some of these other guys, like maybe you can bring back Colin Wilson by chance on a cheap deal, maybe just have him as insurance. But other than that, I mean... Maybe they'll do a few professional tryouts. I I doubt it's much else. And quite frankly, they don't really need to do much else. As we've said earlier, this team is, they're ready. They're ready to compete for a Stanley Cup this season and the season after that and the season after that and the one after that. Probably out of all the teams in the league, I would say their window is the most wide open. I mean, all the other teams in the league, I mean, even Vegas, as open as their window is right now, it's going to shut eventually. They're completely capped out. They're going to have their guys aging eventually. And Tampa Bay, I mean, you can only run from the salary cap for so long, and it might start hurting them as soon as this season. Yes, they have their core locked up for the foreseeable future, but they are always up against the cap. And eventually, especially with the flat cap, it's going to start taking a toll, and they're going to start losing players that they would have preferred to keep. I mean, what, what would be the sweetener that they would have to do to move Alex Kalorn? Because no one wants to take him. Are we talking a first-round pick and another good player just to get someone to take him so that they can free up space to not be over the cap this season? Colorado, they don't have those problems yet. Yes, they're going to have to sign Landeskog and Makar after the season. That's going to end up taking a lot of space up, but we're not there yet. And even once they do, they still have those guys, and everything else will be just picking around the edges. And we'll see. No, one, no other team's window is really open yet. All these up-and-coming teams, I mean, Carolina, they're coming up soon. They need to show it more in the regular season and prove themselves to be the juggernaut that they're very, very close to being. But until they prove otherwise, their their cup window's not really open. Yes, they made the run to the conference final, but they also bowed out to the Bruins twice in a row. And you could argue they, they should have beat the Bruins last year. They got stomped in five, but they could have played much better, especially after the Bruins lost to Garask to him going home. They need to show it more. So Colorado, they do have, I would say, the most wide open window right now. And quite frankly, no one else is on that same level yet. You can argue they're already one of the better teams in the league. I, I'd argue potentially they could win the President's Trophy at minimum as soon as this season. Now, before we go, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the passing of Pierre Lacroix over the weekend the former Colorado Avalanche general manager who helped build those two championship teams when the team moved to Colorado in 1996. Uh, they've hoisted the cup in their first season with his team, and they won again 
in 2002. The moves he made helped shape hockey in this city forever. I mean, the Patrick Waugh deal in 1996 and then going on to win the Stanley Cup in the team's first season since moving from Quebec. And then the Ray, <clears throat> the Ray Bork and the Rob Blake deals, instrumental when they won the Stanley Cup in 2001. And he stuck with the team for a long time. He was the general manager until 2006 and stuck with the team until 2013. I mean, who really knows where Colorado hockey would be without Pierre Lacroix's help? And I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention him. He was truly a, a giant in Colorado, and very, very, very few people garnered the respect in Colorado that Pierre Lacroix gained. So I think that'll just about do it for this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, our debut episode. I am very excited to keep doing this in the future. We're looking at two times a week releases on Monday and Thursday. Next time you hear from me will be next Monday. We'll, we'll be looking ahead at the season that's coming up. We'll be looking at how the other teams in the division stack up against Colorado, where Colorado could finish. Hopefully we'll have an answer on what the playoffs will look like and even a final answer on what the divisions will end up looking like, hopefully by the time I record this next one. But even if we don't, we've also got the World Juniors coming up, which Colorado has a couple players playing in, most notably Bowen Byram, their first round pick from last season that they got from Ottawa. And man, if you're excited about this team now, they've still got plenty of other players still coming up the wings. Bowen Byram, chief among them. And I wouldn't worry too much about losing players, especially on defense. Once Bowen, Bi Bowen Byram could potentially be as good as Kale McCarr. And even if he's not, if he if he's even 70% as good as Kale McCarr, we, there is a duo for the future on the Avalanche's defense. But we'll get into all of that on a later edition. We'll, we could also be looking at roster expectations. Basically, we'll lump that into the season preview, but I think we're all caught up on last offseason. I think that'll do it for me today. For the Tell It As It Is podcast, be sure to tune in next time. I'll see you guys later.